Greetings and welcome to On Frame, conversations about arts with host Alejandro. You are listening to CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon or streaming live around the world on cfcr.ca. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook on Frame Radio. Or also, you can also listen to past episodes of On Frame Radio on iTunes. Our guest for tonight is Lorenzo Dupois. He was born in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan in 1953. He has formal education at the University of Saskatchewan, where he completed a master's in 1995. Lorenzo has more than 30 years of experience in the arts field. He has a prolific career as a painter. Many of his paintings are in private and public collections. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me, Alejandro. It's very nice to be here. What can we tell our people that are listening about you? How did you start as an artist? Well, I guess I have a very typical story. As a, as a child, I, I enjoyed drawing and I seemed to receive a little bit of positive attention for whatever I did as, as with respect to drawing in elementary school and later in high school and uh, and sort of I found it quite interesting just to develop the skills and to look at other art. Uh, the local library there was uh, books on Picasso and Van Gogh and I, I found it very exciting to look at them and simultaneously I found the other subject matter in high school uh, not that interesting. <laughs> so it seemed to be natural that I would uh, pursue that path. And, and you grew up in Prince Albert? I did, yeah. In the, uh, my, I, I grew up in, uh, I was born in 1953, therefore uh, it was sort of a very nice place to grow up. It was a, during the time of the baby boomers, of course, and so every neighborhood had hundreds of children and you walked out the door and you had tons of things to do. So it was a uh, a nice growing up experience, a very rich, lively uh, childhood and adolescence. So how was that for you, coming from Prince Albert to the university, and oh. just that yeah. change of environment, thinking uh, your experience with artists, I assume that it was through the books, and, and, and yeah. you created this idea of how, what an, uh, an artist is, oh, and then okay. you just come to university. How was that? Well, you know, it was, it was very surprising. I had the very good fortune in grade 10 to have a teacher at my high school by the name of Robert Rainier, who, uh, whose wife was studying art, and they invited, they knew I was interested in art, so they invited me to Saskatoon for a weekend to look at the art department. And that was very, a very important moment for me. It was quite inspirational. I didn't realize you could actually, never occurred to me that you could study art in an, at a university, you know? And having a university within an hour and a half's drive from Prince Albert, it became my goal. and. Uh, I was quite a mediocre student at that point, but I made sure my marks were good enough to get into university. And so uh, that, that weekend in Saskatoon in, in grade 10 was uh, a turning point for me. And when I got to Saskatoon, it was, uh, oh, it was like someone coming from a small town to a big city. Saskatoon felt like so cosmopolitan compared to Prince Albert, so sophisticated compared to Prince Albert, especially on campus. Uh, they weren't the type of people I was used to being around, and I really enjoyed their company. It was a, quite a cultural difference from Prince Albert. And, and your background is French? Yeah, French-Canadian, uh, Francesquois, you might say. So, uh, yeah, we spoke French in the home, and but out, as soon as we were out the doors, it, it was English, of course, uh, being mostly Anglophone environment. Most of my schooling was in English, but I did do some uh, studying in French as well. So when you came to the university, what was happening in the university in the 1970s? Well, uh, with respect to the art department, you know, it was the hippie era, for one thing. Uh, everyone had long hair and beards, and uh, the men at least, <laughs> and, uh, or the young men. And um, yeah, it was a very uh, non-materialistic 
way of approaching learning. People selected uh, classes, at least the people I knew, uh, with respect to what interested him, not in terms of building a career. So uh, most of my friends studied philosophy or English or uh, um, French literature or things like that, not things that they could build, make a great living from. And the art department at that time was, uh, the world was just discovering abstract art in that period. You know, abstract art came to North America in the 40s and 50s, and it kind of reached Saskatoon in the late 60s and early 70s, just as I arrived in Saskatoon. So the, uh, the hidden curriculum, if you like, in the art department was abstract art. If you're going to be a good artist, you should be an abstract art. That seemed to be the message, an abstract artist, rather. That seemed to be the, uh, the message at that point. So uh, how, was, how was your mind at the time when, when you came from Prince Albert scene? Well, you, you oh. said that you were looking at Picasso work, so yeah. there's some abstraction there as well. Yeah, to some degree, but I wasn't, I was quite shocked. My great love was Van Gogh. I, I loved the, the expressionism, the, the, the color. I, I just, uh, that was my, I, if I, could, I would have done anything to have been able to have painted like Van Gogh. And when I got to the university, the, the, the great emphasis on abstract and abstraction, rather, I've, I've really frightened me or made me uh, wonder whether or not I was in the right place. Actually, I attempted to quit university and I went to hand in my resignation, if you like, and uh, they told me I was two days short of getting my tuition back. So I decided to stay. And uh, within a few months, it all started making sense to me. But at that point, the first month or so, uh, month or two, I felt bewildered. I just didn't get what people are up to. So it's interesting. And the reason that I asked that is because you, it, you worked for what I know you when I came here and most people uh, was not abstract at the time. They have some elements of abstraction, but it was uh, full of color, very expressionist. Mm -hmm. That makes sense now that you tell me that story about Van Gogh. And, and then it changed. What made that work change so many times? Well, um, yeah, I, it, it was due to an allergy. I, I, uh, when I left when at university, I painted in acrylic paint and then Afterwards, somehow, as a kid, I, I painted in oil paint at my home in Prince Albert. But somehow, at university, we were all discovering the properties of acrylic paint. And again, to be considered a serious artist, you painted in acrylic paint at that point. Anyways, I let that notion go after I finished a BFA, and I rediscovered oil paint, and I rediscovered the landscape. I always had a great love for the forest, having grown up around Prince Albert. And so uh, a friend of mine invited me on a camping trip, a canoeing trip. And I thought, well, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to paint the, the northern regions of Saskatchewan? And I guess it was a bit of a romantic thing, harping, harking back to the group of seven and all that. So that's the, so slowly I became a landscape artist. I, I, but, but to answer your question, I'm sorry, I'm going around in circles. Um, about five years ago, after 30-some years of painting in oil paint, I developed a, quite a severe allergy to oil paint. It would make me quite nauseous and dizzy. And although I um, did everything I could to equip my studio and all that with uh, proper ventilation and wearing gloves and masks, I would just get quite ill from oil paint. 
And so I went through, uh, I tried acrylic once again, I tried all kinds of media, I tried encaustic paints, even started carving stone for a little while, trying to find another way to, to, to get at art, but uh, none of it worked. Finally, out of desperation, the very last medium I thought I could consider was uh, egg tempera. And uh, so I did. I, I went on YouTube and found out how to make it, what kind of surfaces you need, some of the old recipes, and I and I loved it immediately. It was It's a medium that lends itself to drawing and I always thought that my strength as an artist was drawing, although I, I did very little drawing even in the days as sort of an expressionist landscape painter, but this particular medium, it's, it lends to little strokes that dry very quickly so you can overlay. It's very slow going, mind you, but it it has its uh, particular, uh, I guess, characteristics that suited me very nicely. So initially I tried to do cityscapes because I thought I should be true to myself. I live in a city, not out in the landscape, but th they weren't that successful. And uh, I had friends that visited me in my studio and they, they decided that, or they didn't decide, but <laughs> they suggested what was remarkable about my paintings weren't the actual depictions of the city, it was sort of the background. The, the strokes themselves. So I thought, well, yeah, okay, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to remove all the rec recognizable forms and see what happens. And that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last four or five years. So how do you find uh, your materials for tempera? Well, um, it's, it's very easy to make, actually. You need uh, fresh farm eggs, if possible, which I get at the farmer's market uh, every two weeks. And you can uh, uh, dry pigment, which they have in a couple of the art supply stores in Saskatoon, or you can order it in from various art supply companies. So it's not too difficult to, to, to make the paint. Preparing the surfaces of the panels is a little more difficult. You need uh, rabbit skin glue and you need um, old MDF panels, which are pretty easy to find in Saskatoon or to make yourself. That's readily available. And you need calcium carbonate, which is uh, a product they use to make drywall, but you need to have it in powdered form, and that you have to order in usually. Well, that's interesting. I know it, it, it gets quite complex uh, and experimental when you change media and, yeah. and when you change uh, exactly when you change uh, your your style and you need to find some uh, ways to express what you have to in a in a in a very different material. So it changed uh, your work in terms of context and it also yeah. in, in, in technique. Yeah, it was a very, very dramatic change. It's almost not recognizable from what I did you know, before that to what I'm doing now. What did your collector say? Well, I think generally, um, for the most part, with the exception of, um, yeah, it's hard to say. I think most of my collectors actually are more interested in my past work they haven't quite made the transition along with me. And that, I could say that's probably true to the commercial galleries as well, with the exception of my gallery here in Saskatoon that represents me. That's good. So what informs your work? You are a, a very uh, wise gentleman uh, for what I have known you. What is the, the uh, philosophy behind your work? Well, yeah, I, it's, well, there's, it's, well, thank you for asking that question, Alexandra. I'll probably give you a very long-winded answer. That's that. okay. We have time. <laughs> On the one side, I have no philosophy. And the other side, I have a, a philosophy that I've worked out in depth. So, and, and I hope 
to, to not misrepresent myself. Because actually when I'm painting, I'm just responding to what I did the day before. I'm really not thinking. And it's only afterwards I've done a body of work, I start asking myself questions. So the, the paintings aren't a result of the philosophy, it's like the philosophy is a result of the paintings. So, um, but I do get asked occasionally and I do think about it. And so uh, my answer in brief, and this is due to other life experiences as well, is I think of painting as a kind of uh, a prayer to some degree, but it's a prayer without words. It's sort of a wordless prayer. And what does that mean? Well, I, I think an honest form of prayer would be to be without thoughts, if you like, to be a kind of like a hollow reed. And uh, to be an authentic painter, I think sometimes you have to get rid of a lot of your preconceptions, a lot of your, uh, a lot of the conventions that surround painting, a lot, although some of them are very important and essential, a lot of them need to be discarded and are obstacles to making art. So you have to get rid of a lot of that. So once again, becoming uh, a hollow reed or without a certain element of ego, that's very important. And um, so with respect to that, like there, there's, I think, two strategies in painting. This comes from an old professor of mine, Dr. Genet, who taught in the art department in the early 70s. He said that a painter should have a foot in the known and the foot in the unknown. So. What does that mean? A foot in the known, I think, is again going back to conventions. You have to know what, uh, how to handle paint, how to... Uh, there's many, many different aspects to it. I think the sort of the greatest umbrella convention, if you like, is unity and diversity. Uh, under that sort of label, all of the, all the other conventions seem to fit. For example, within that you can have composition. You can have uh, degrees of tone. You can have plane, point, line. All of that can fit underneath there. So those are ways of manipulating uh, your image. But the other aspect to it is, is what I spoke about a little earlier, is to be without ego. And, and how do you eliminate ego? Well, you move forward. You try to find, it's like swimming. You, like, you try to be in a situation where it's a little it's a little out of your depth, where there's a certain degree of discomfort, where you happen to, where you put in a position where you need to learn, and and that's a way of escaping your ego. So, uh, if you can marry the two, your your mastery of conventions and proceeding without an ego, I, I or without some degree of ego, I think you might have a chance of succeeding. But even then, it's very difficult, and very few people do succeed, including myself. But uh, I, I notice in your compositions and, and, and the value in your colors, there's a dance, there's, there's not a competition. Uh, if the color didn't have ego, they're all alike, <laughs> they just play together, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they, they, of course, they, they, they should interact, play together, and, and be unified. You know, again, it's that unity and diversity. I guess they, they have to, uh, there has to be a range of diverse experiences in the painting but they need to work together to create a whole. So when you are working, let's say that uh, here in front of you is, a, is an empty piece of uh, mesonite yeah. or, or a surface that you want to grab and start painting. How do you approach that empty space? Well, it's usually the last painting or the last several hundred paintings that tell me what to do in the next one. But even then, I, I, I 
wouldn't want to repeat myself too much, but I do maintain a lot from the last, like I said, several hundred paintings. But I do, every painting I change something. So I'm not, I'm not imitating myself. So every single painting I have to ask myself, what next? What do I do a little different that I haven't done before? Otherwise it'll be boring for myself and therefore it'll be boring for the viewer. So again, if I'm, you know, if yesterday I, for example, two years ago I was working very mechanically with a series of circles and the whole painting was hundreds of little circles, you know, uh, and uh, but what I, after looking at those for the long time, I noticed what was really interested me most about those circles wasn't the circle itself, but it was the pencil line I used to make the circles. So the next series of paintings, I eliminated the circles, but I kept the pencil line. And then I, I asked myself, well, what can I do next? And I, uh, I, I was a teacher for many, many years. And uh, as a teacher, I had to attend many staff meetings which weren't always very interesting. And I, and throughout all of those staff meetings, I would doodle. The agenda by the end of the staff meeting was covered with these doodles, and they were very unconscious things, and I would just play. So in the last couple of years, I thought, well, I'm gonna use this tendency I have to doodle. And so the pencil lines became these doodles, and there was, without any rhyme or reason, just letters or, drawings of trees or anything, but they weren't set up in any conventional way. It was just things stacked on top of other things. And that became my subject matter for for about a year and a half or two years. That's interesting. And, and uh, what has been the hardest part of being an artist? Well, yeah, it's, that's a t difficult... Most of it is very enjoyable. I have no difficulty going to my studio and, and painting almost daily. I, I enjoy it tremendously. I find it very relaxing, and if I don't do it, I miss it very much. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder if there really is a hard part. Um, I, I think it's that. I think the very most difficult part is is dealing with your own ego, your expectations. I think if you can free yourself from that, you're almost home free. And what I mean by expectations. Uh, expectations surrounding success, surrounding recognition, all those things, I, I think they're in the way. It, it's nice, of course, to experience those things, but the only real reward to painting is the act of painting itself. So if you can get to that point, it, it, you're, you're a winner in every respect. That's very interesting of you to say, and it's very humbling when you have a, a a very large curriculum, and a very long, uh, experience as a, as an exhibitor in solo shows and group uh, exhibitions. It is it is very refreshing that you say that because uh, a lot of younger artists, I think they we all get trapped in the yeah. in the celebrity yeah. Yeah. and the catch that needs to come with that and yeah. and you have supported yourself with your work and also as well, as, as, as as an educator. Yeah, as an educator certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice would you have uh, or give to an emerging artist? Well, uh, I would advise them to, uh, you know, of course, to work hard uh, and to, uh, to invite a lot of criticism. Like, uh, Saskatoon is a very nice community to develop as an artist because there's all kinds of people who you can ask 
to come to your studio and give you feedback. And, and I've done that quite a lot. And that's helped me enormously. I think every, like every writer would probably need an editor. I think every painter needs some editing editors as well. And sometimes other people see more clearly what you're doing than yourself, you know. So I've benefited from all kinds of people visiting my studio and, and trying to. And the really good crit critics, are, they don't tell you what not to do, but they, they isolate what you do well. They say, you know, okay, I see something here that seems to work particularly well for you, and you could maybe explore that further. So going back to those younger artists, uh, invite feedback and try to find out what your specific gifts are. You know, no, no one's good at everything. And most of us are only good at a few things. And a few things is plenty. Just try to find out what those few things are and you can build a whole career on that. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And, and I also know that uh, you've been to Emma Lake. You did a lot of those workshops. Yeah. And perhaps it was uh, good to go close to home. Well, Emma Lake was, it was going close to home, yet having an international experience, because we'd invite these artists in from, from London, from New York, from all over. And uh, so we had, uh, as guest artists and as other participants, so you got immediately in touch with the rest of the world through uh, something that was in your backyard, you know. So that was, it was a, a very important experience uh, for me. and. Um, and you got to compare yourself to them. You know, you realize, well, you know, we're, we're not perhaps all that different, you know. And uh, so you took yourself more seriously. And then on a very practical level, because you're all working together and you have lunch together every day and uh, you get to see how they work, how they manipulate paint, how they, how they conduct themselves. Did you find that in, in, in those days for you, people were very generous with their knowledge? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Everyone was very giving, very generous. That was the magic behind Emma Lake. So now that there's no Emma Lake, yeah. what, what, how can we all, uh, emerging artists or mid-career artists, can get something like that without the needed to travel anywhere yeah. else? Well, I think Emma Lake can be re recreated anywhere. You know, it's not Emma Lake. It's just a, a bunch of people with common interest who want to help each other. That's that's what it is, you know. So it, it although it's particularly beautiful at Emma Lake and you're, you're isolated and you're fed, so you have two weeks to just focus on your work, I think you could recreate something similar wherever you live, as long as the attitude towards a, that mutual help and trusting other people, you know. I, I, I think it's quite manageable to recreate it. Who are the artists that you admire the most? Well, there's a number of local artists, of course, but internationally, my, my recent heroes, at least for the last couple of years, there's a, an artist whose name, she died in 2004, and she's originally from Macklin, Saskatchewan, and her name is Agnes Martin. And I saw a, a big show of hers in New York City and uh, at the Guggenheim Museum, and, and although she left Saskatchewan when she was a very young person, uh, her paintings, to my mind, still referred, and they were abstract paintings, big, luminous, abstract, very simple paintings. They reminded me of Saskatchewan. And at this Guggenheim Museum, which is one of the most uh, well-known museums of the world, underneath each of her paintings was Agnes Martin, the date of her painting, and the word Saskatchewan. I felt that was quite beautiful. Uh, 
I don't know if they thought Saskatchewan was some sort of exotic word because I, I don't even know if she was still alive when that show happened. But so it must have been something important to her to be from Saskatchewan. She lived most of her life in New Mexico, which I think probably has a similar landscape in some respects. You know, it's flat, and although I've never been there. I understand it's not that different than Saskatchewan. And the other artist, Giorgio Morandi. Giorgio Morandi. He's an artist from Bologna, Italy. And all his life, he painted on a very modest scale, very small paintings, and he painted still lifes. He painted a series of a few bottles that he would arrange, a bottle of shells, and he made painting after painting after painting of the same subject matter. But they really, although they, they appear to be about bottles, they're like a microcosm of the universe. They're about everything. And, uh, and I love the fact that they were so humble. He used just a few earth colors. Uh, they were quite tonal. And, um, and he lived very simply as well. Apparently his studio was a, a little room that was about nine feet by nine feet. It was a bedroom in his mother's house. He had to go through one of his sister's bedrooms to get to his studio. And he had walls of these shells and little bottles that he would collect. And he would work carefully and thoughtfully on these. And again, on a very modest scale. So he wasn't, they weren't things that were screaming out for attention. They weren't saying, look at me, look at me. And, um, but even with this very humble approach, somehow it, they, they got to be uh, recognized by slowly by the world you know and so his lifestyle and his work uh, to me are, are exemplary absolutely exemplary so when you talk about uh, work hard what do you mean by that well um i i'm not saying work up a sweat or anything like that <laughs> no i know i know i know i i just mean to work continually you know like i think be dedicated to be de dedicated. You don't have to work eight hours a day. Uh, painting is very exhausting. It takes a, a certain amount of emotional input. So I, I find it hard to work more than a few hours at a time. So I, I work a few hours, take a break and go back. But to be to always have it on in your heart and in your mind, you know, to be to be with it all the time. And then to try to learn about yourself through your paintings. And in a sense, you have to be a student of your own work. How do you do that? Well, you observe what you do poorly and what you do well, and you try to focus. It'd be like a farmer, you know, like saying, okay, last year this uh, a particular uh, bull produced with particular cows produced some very good calves, so <laughs> I'm going to pay more attention to that, that situation. So you go somewhere, you know, and most roads you're going to go down as an artist won't pay very much, not in money way, but won't will be the wrong road, you know that's guaranteed. But a few of them, a very few of them, will be. It's like going back to Mirandi. He found a situation where he could talk about the whole universe, but in a very simple way, just using those bottles. And Agnes Martin kind of did the same thing. She used a grid for the most part of her career, and and that kind of said everything somehow. So pay attention to what makes your your work sing and and try to leave the rest alone like be be satisfied be economical you don't need to count to 100 if you can count to five that's plenty to make good work from you know 
Well, thank you for for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. It's been wonderful to have you here, and I hope to have you again sometime. Well, thank you, Alessandro. It was a great pleasure to be here with you. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. If you want to learn more about Lorenzo, you can visit his website, lorenzodupuis.ca, L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-D-U-P-U-I-S dot C-A. You can also call the Gallery Art Placement in Saskatoon or the Irene Bouguera Gallery in Edmonton, Alberta. This is your host, Alejandro. You were listening to On Frame Radio, conversations about art in Saskatoon on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon or streaming live around the world on cfcr.ca. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you are interested in listening to past episodes, search for On Frame Radio in iTunes. Thank you and have a great evening.